Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, boys. Welcome to week 18 of MLS Gone Wild. This is Blem checking in. This is Poopus. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild. Happy to have Shalry Joseph on our show today. Big MLS legend for New England, New England Revolution, so happy to have you on. So most of you know me as Delaney. More of you don't know me at all, but tonight you guys can call me Mike D, and I'm very excited to get into this week's episode with an awesome guest. All right, so on today's episode, we have a very special guest. He was recently named as a part of the all-time team for the New England Revolution. He has played and coached for Grenada's men's national team. He is a dog lover, but most importantly, he's an Arsenal fan. Shari Joseph, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. You can say that again. Uh, <laughs> you guys, my name, like I said, my name is Shari Joseph, and it's an honor, it's a privilege to be on this show. I look forward to just catching up about what's my history about the game and where I've been and what I've been doing lately. Um, I played my career in New England Revolution. I thank God for, for those fans. I thank God for the opportunity when they draft me. And to this day, it's been a great memory of mine working with them now. So. I look forward to this interview, and thanks, guys, for having me. Of course. So before we get into the really serious stuff, we'll keep things light for a second. I know you're an Arsenal fan, Shaori. I'm a diehard Arsenal fan as well. You got to see a lot more good than I have in my lifetime. Uh, This past, I think it was Saturday, Pepe scored the opening goal for Arsenal, and then we gave up two consecutive goals, game winner in the 95th minute. Brighton beats Arsenal 2-1. I don't know why I'm an Arsenal fan. Why are you an Arsenal fan? Uh, I know, I know why. And even more these days with Arteta in charge, I love his, I love his philosophy. I love his ideology. I love that he was on the pep street and he's going to bring something special to the Gunners, to the Gunners Foundation. But I grew up watching Patrick Vieira and Burkham and Perez and, and Robert Fowler and all those guys back in the day when I used to go to St. John's, when I used to go to St. John's and Brandon Stratton, the junior college, I used to watch them and Manchester United and always Love the Arsenal. I just love the Invincibles. I love the way they were so tough and they fight and they and they play the game beautiful. And even though they scrap for everything, but they play in such a beautiful way with with Arsene Wenger. That's how I became a fan just watching him because I thought he was the first person that really introduced the beautiful like the tiki taka soccer, the attacking prowess, the way guys got forward, the wing backs got forward, the centre back attack, the way they attacked in just numerical ways. I love that about. Venga style, so that's when I became an Arsenal fan. Well, uh, that was really in depth. Thank you for that. I hope Arsenal one day gets back back to those those days of being like the Invincibles with Patrick Vieira and all those guys. Uh, we have we have a, a Liverpool fan on here today, Mike D. Did you see that big three to zero win, or were you too busy at work? No, um, I was super busy today at work, and the boys actually just reminded me about thirty minutes ago that. Uh, they played today, and so I feel like a terrible <laughs> fan. But, yeah, just like we talked about a little bit ago, Shari, uh, you know, huge, huge Liverpool fan. Love the Reds. Super, you know, hardworking team. So I had to wear the hat to represent because I know you're an Arsenal fan. Oh, definitely. I love that. They're the top of the cream right now, the way they play Liverpool, the way Klopp have them ticking from front to back, and the way he's integrate all of his players. And he, he's just getting better and better with what he's bringing to that foundation, to what he's bringing to that organization. So I can imagine soccer, once we get back to a better place in terms of the world itself, I can imagine him and Pep Guardiola and then Arteta 
and then Tottenham and then Jose Mourinho. It's going to be fun in 2021. Uh, uh, 2020, the end of the fall season, it's going to be crazy once everything is back again. I can't wait to, for it to see that. Absolutely. So stepping away from the disappointment that is Arsenal, especially since the, uh, <clears throat> since the return to play starting out 0-2, let's get back to talking about you, Shall Reed. So yeah. during your prized MLS career, you earned four-time four -time MLS Best 11 between the years 2005 and 2009. You were a finalist for the 2009 MV MLS MVP, seven-time All-Star, two-time Grenada Player of the Year, 2007 Caribbean Player of the Year, U.S. Open Cup champ, and North American Super League champ. With all that being said, what was your style of play and what separated you as a player that allowed you to achieve all of those accolades? Oh, those were some accolades. It's good, it's good hearing them. I really, <laughs> I really don't put it into perspective and I really don't think about it as much as I, I should or wanted, to be honest about it. But just hearing you name some other things, it brings a little chill to my, just brings a little chill to my body, being able to accomplish with so many great things. But I think what separated me was my mindset. I used to come to work. I used to come to work every day and I would enjoy and love playing soccer, even as a young man, even as a young boy growing up in Grenada. But I had physical, I had a physical prowess. I have a physical dominance about me that I would expose on the field during practice and in games. And then it was my mindset. I worked on my, I worked on my game every day, every week, whether it be in practice or at home, I would juggle for or play, play against, kick the ball against the wall, work on my first touch. Little things like that, I think that separate me. And once I got on the field, I just believed that I was the best at, on the field at that day. It wasn't matter who I was going to be playing against or who I was going to be matched up against. I just believe in myself more than anyone else. And once I step out on the field, I believe I was going to dominate whoever I play. And I was very, I was assertive about it. I just let everyone know, like, this is going to be a war if you're going to be playing against me today. And I showed it every day and during practice and especially during the games. Yeah, you're definitely you're definitely confident that mindset is is there, man. You're you know you're a champion, you're a warrior on the field. <laughs> Thank you. Nah, we had some. We had, I definitely we had some great teams. We had some great players on my team, and they they wanted to win. That was the fun part about it. We all wanted to win, even though we weren't able to get to the MLS Cup. We all wanted to win, so that made it fun to come to work each and every day. And after work, we would be hanging out. We would be socializing and going for lunch and stuff like that. But coming to practice and Steve Nichol make it fun to be at practice every day. He knew what the players wanted. Oh, yeah. Little <laughs> legend right there. He knew what the players wanted. He, he was so old school. We would show up to practice and he would let us warm up, do a little bit of passing drill, a couple of rondos. And then it was literally 5v5, 6v6, and then 11v11. It wasn't very repetitive, but... He made the practice very competitive and he made it fun to be there every day. So that kind of inspired a lot of the players and myself to just work hard and enjoy the game of soccer. Yeah, that's fun. That's functional. And it sounds like Steve Nichol and the New England Revolution, especially during the time that you were there, was able to foster an environment that was very competitive. And that brought the best out of the likes of you, Taylor Tolman, Steve Ralston, all of those guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. And... Of the off the field issues, the off the field stuff that made it even more fun. So obviously, you go, you go to work every day and you get to do the things you love. But once the soccer was done, I think that's the part that we embraced the most. It was just getting to know each other, and he made that fun, especially on road trips or preseason trips. We would get into some fights and stuff, but at the end of the day, I think that brought the group together, especially in that 05, 06 era, 07 that time period. 
we definitely had some of the weirdest and some of the craziest preseason trip, but the off the field things, I think it brought the group even stronger and together. And that's a very important part of being a, a good and successful team and having a team with good camaraderie and good morale. So the off the field stuff is just as important as the 5v5, 66, 11v11 in practices. Yeah, well, definitely. I think that's some of the things that I'm missing in today's soccer. And just from, uh, I'm just from a far, part, far point of view, but it, teams don't spend enough time together. Teams don't really work on that part of the game where you understand, yeah, it's great that we all get together and work together, but the off the field issues, the off the field things that they need to work on, those are huge components that help teams to become successful. And those are things that build franchises and build dynasties and teams. And I think one of the, we, even though we didn't get there, it was one of the things that helped us become one of the teams that people talked about still, even though we didn't win an MLS Cup championship. So correct me if I'm wrong, shall we? We have one of our questions down here is, was there a player that you looked up to and based your playoff of? Based on what you've said so far, I would go ahead and safely assume, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick Vieira? All right, 100% correct on that. Uh, he was a warrior. I got to meet him one time in New York as a coach, but he was by far one of the players that I looked up to. He, can, he played both sides of the ball and he was aggressive. He didn't take no BS and... He carried his team when he needed to, and that's the kind of player I would I love to this day. When get, when te when teammates wasn't doing their part, you can see him, you can see the aggression, you can see the character in him, and he definitely is one of those players that I literally love to death today to this day. Are there any current MLS players that remind you of yourself, and that that you think base their play off of your style of play? No. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I think uh, the game has changed a lot, too, from MLS style. I think it, the physicality, they've taken a little bit. They haven't let a lot of physical things gone, gone by. They've cleaned up a lot of stuff that, we would, that I would have gotten away with back then. And the two-way players, I don't think there's, there's much two-way players like there were back then. Uh, and also the style of system that Steve Nichol allowed us to play when we changed from 3-5-2 to 4-2. To four, four, he allowed me to be that kind of person that I was able to go from box to box or, or sit. And my game was very versatile. So it, I think it's hard to find players nowadays that are very versatile in that, in that, central, in that central midfield position. Did you, uh, did you ever have a player that you were always like, look up to playing against like during the time playing with New England? Yeah, there's a couple I love playing against. I, I definitely love Landon, Landon Donovan. I think he's, he was a special player and we had some one-on-one -on -one battles on the field where I can remember to this day he scored like on Matrice, he scored like a left-footed banger from like 20 yards up and that was the second one in the game and there was a home at Gillette. And then he was like, he was telling me, he literally said, Shari, you gotta stop, you guys gotta stop me today. I'm on fire. And this was like it was like the first half, and he had like two already. And then I, I looked at him and I started smiling. And I'm like, you don't know what you just woke up. You didn't know what you just <laughs> And then we literally I went down the field, we went down the field, and I had a and I had a goal within 10 minutes, and then I watched him and I gave him a wink and I tell him it's on now. So I remember <laughs> I remember having a couple of battles with him in New England and so in LA. Uh, Dwayne, Dwayne De Rosario, 
I love his game all over, his all-around game. The way he was able to shoot and create goals, and he scored some of the best goals, I think, in MLS. Uh, Eddie Johnson is another one that I, I love his tenacity. I love just his character and where he came from and what he achieved in life. And Demarcus Beasley, players like that I've gotten the opportunity to work with. Freddie Montero in Seattle, I played against a little bit. Uh, Valeri was special. I love his offensive skill. Uh, those players, uh, and then players that I played with that I really thought was didn't get the 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 they didn't get the kind of marksmanship or they didn't get the accolades they deserve. Players like a Steve Ralston, I thought he was probably at least top five, top ten MLS best players ever because he was so versatile. He was such a professional, and you can put him anywhere and he would fit in. Taylor Twelman was probably one of the best goal scorers I played with, and then Michael Parker, smart kid. I played with a lot of great players. They really didn't stand out in my, in some people's eyes, but I got the opportunity to play with those players, and I'm so forever grateful. Yeah, so we kind of laid the foundation for our whole our podcast. You know, we've we've given the outline: who is Shallery? What's he about? What kind of player is he? Uh, so we're gonna switch it up a little bit, and we're gonna go back to the very beginning of Shallery Joseph's story. So, Shallery, so I know it, it's always difficult moving stuff like somewhere else, like to another state and stuff like something like that, but. You moved to a completely another country when you came to America from Granada. So why why did your family decide to come here at first? And then how difficult was it adjusting to like the American culture? Well, it was very difficult. Uh, very, very difficult, I think, in my eyes. Uh, being, able, being in Grenada where it's like 85, 90 degrees hot and sunny every day pretty much year round and the weather don't really change. And then when I moved to Brooklyn, my mom took me from Grenada to Brooklyn. She wanted to provide better opportunities for me. She left when I was close to being a year old, so she left pretty young. And when I came to, to Brooklyn, I, I went to high school and it was like the close to fall season. It was literally snow coming and it was just brick cold. So it was a, it was a shock. It was definitely a shock, but I understand why she did it. I am so, I'm forever grateful for her giving me the opportunity to come to America and to live here. And, but I love the I love Grenada, but I can't see myself living there. And I love I love America so much now that I'm forever grateful for her providing those opportunities and bringing me to Brooklyn when I was such a young man. I'm sure, like once it starts snowing, you don't want to go outside at all, too. So I guarantee that it's too cold. Yeah, the first couple of days or weeks, no one really wanted to go out, and I I, <laughs> I was like, nah, I'm not going out there. And then. I met some friends and then the soccer brought us out. They was like, let's go play soccer. And from the time I hear that, she was like, just just warm and then you'll be all right. And we went to a park. Uh, the snow cleared up for a little bit, but it was still cold. And then from ever since, I just love the change of season, the change of weather. Because I think once I moved here and that part of the year, it just grew on me. And I can't see myself living where it's not, there's no change of season. New England would be my home. I pray to God that it stays my home. And I love being up here and I love the snow and all that part of it. Despite the snow and the change of seasons, it really sounds like New England is your new home. You attended George W. Wingate High School in New York. Your talent then led you to Bryant Stratton before transferring to local powerhouse St. John's University in your junior year of college. In your two years at St. John's, you scored 21 goals, landing you 10th all-time in scoring at the university. Like I just said, you did that in two years. Most players can't accomplish that feat in four years. You had 14 goals as a junior forward. Additionally, you had seven goals as a senior defender. You secured two first-team All-Region and two All-Big East selections. Then, 
-hmm. You were drafted in 2002 by New England, 14th overall. Uh, You played an important role in the midfield in your first two seasons. Everything came together between 2005 and 2007 for the Revolution as you guys made it to three straight MLS Cups, although you guys lost them all by a close margin. Uh, You play alongside some MLS greats, including Taylor Twellman, Steve Ralston, Jeff Lorenowitz, Pat Noonan, Michael Parkhurst, Clint Dempsey. I can name players all day long. What made the 05 to 07 New England Revolution team so special? I think that one of the things you just said was that the names names you just listed off, it definitely made those teams special. You can name those guys should go down in MLS like legendary from Jeff Laurentiewicz, who is a longtime veteran. He came in and really nobody knew who he was and look, he's still playing to this day. Uh, Steve Ralston, his versatility, his professionalism. I think the players you just named and the, if you look at the year from the 05 to 07 and you look at the players roster, you'll see how great those players are. But the, what made us special was the unity that we formed off the field and the bond that we created off the field from in terms of hanging out together, spending time together, knowing each other, understanding each other. And then our most important part, I think it was Steve Nickel. He made he made it fun to come to work. He made it he made it engaging. He made it interesting. He made it he made it a place that everybody looked forward to being and you got to express yourself as players. And that's one of the things it's hard to do nowadays that coaches kind of stifle players. They don't give them the freedom to breathe. They don't give them the freedom to be creative and they don't give them the freedom to live their life off the field. And I think with Steve Nickel, he understands what it takes. He understands being professional once you show up to work, but most importantly is living your life and having fun. And he made that part so good for each and every one of our players, even though we were different and we had all different backgrounds. When we all came together, he understand we had one goal in mind, and that was to win games and win championship. And even though we didn't win championship, it was something that we got close, and he made it fun to be a part of. Yeah, I think that's super important. You know, you kind of touched on it. It reminds me of the the documentary, the recent documentary about Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and his relationship with, um, what was his name, Chuck? The the wild child. Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. Yeah, sorry. It was it was his relationship with Dennis Rodman. You know, he knew that no matter what Dennis did, he was coming back to play. So whether or not he was going to Vegas for 48 hours, he knew he was going to come back to play and he was going to be fit. And I think you touched on it with Steve Nichol. You have to allow the players to be themselves in, in a sense and build that team camaraderie and, and a question that I was going to bring up, you know, you kind of let it right to me. Mm-hmm. Having Steve Nichol as a coach, being the great coach that he was, being the great player that he was, how close were you guys, you know, and did he ever compare the EPL to the MLS? Was there ever banter that went on? Not so much banter because he understand that it was different. It's definitely the EPL is the top of the, is top of the level. It's the best place you can play soccer at. And he understand what it took to get there. I thought he bought what he learned there and as a player and what he did as a player into the MLS system. And it worked perfectly as a head coach back then. He understand players' mentality, which is huge. He understand how to motivate players and he understand how to let players have their freedom. And he understand personalities. Most importantly, I think at that level, you must understand players' personality. We had so many different personalities from players like Clint Dempsey, who was 
probably the most talented player, but one of the most arrogant players you would meet. And he he beat up our he beat up our captain like in one day he and Joey he punched our captain in the face and this was his rookie year and he was like what's going on with this kid and then we had Taylor Twelman who would like literally scream at every rookie that come into camp and they weren't ready to play he was like this is what it takes this is what matters the most but and then he had guys on preseason who would go out every other night or who would party a lot naming myself we and then come to work the next day and just run my heart out and run my chest out and he he understand that so that's what made him such a special and unique coach that he was able to to make all of these unique talent and unique players get along and understand that we all ultimately fighting and playing for for one goal and that was to win championship and his sidekick in Paul Mariner too who was another wild card he understand what it took too and those two formed just a unique bond and they understand players mentality most importantly yeah, that's such a huge part of being a great coach, in my opinion, is, is being able to manage the personalities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we had we had different backgrounds. We had guys from the Caribbean. We had guys from we had guys from America. Obviously, we had guys from Africa. We had it was such a unique blend of talent together that I didn't think anyone else was able to pull so many players from different places and had them had them playing for one goal and going in one direction. And that was to make New England relevant and to win championship for New England and to bring joy to the fans here. And some years we did that and some years we went above and beyond those calls and some years we fell short. But at the end of the day, I think, especially the 05, 07 years, 08 years, it was one of the best rides in MLS history. So between those years of 05 and 07, you know, you guys played, I think it was LA Galaxy in 05. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's correct. And then 06, 07 was Houston Dynamo. For you, was Houston Dynamo one of the biggest rivals in your time in New England? Yeah. Outside, outside of the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I think it was definitely. Having lost to them, and then we lost to them in the Super – we won we – be, we beat them in the Super League final, so we got our revenge there, which is not the same as the MLS Cup, but we got our revenge there. But I think it was definitely one of our biggest rivalries outside of the Eastern Conference. And I think Dominic Kinnear was so special. He was a special coach. And he and Steve Nichol had something going back and forth. So that made it even more interesting. And Brian Ching being compared to Taylor Twelman or Taylor Twelman being compared, which one of them was the best goal scorer. So there was a little bit of player-player rivalry going on. Who was the better players? Who was the better team? Who, was, who had the better coach? So that kind of made the rivalry even more beautiful, even more special being able to play a team like that. Yeah, growing up as a kid, when I think of good MLS games, I always, you know, I remember, I specifically remember those years when you guys matched up against the, the Houston Dynamo and MLS Cup, and I remember tuning in. So I, I definitely think during, in between 06 and 07, that was my favorite matchup to watch. Oh, awesome. So yeah. we just spoke, we spoke a little bit about rivalries. We're, so we're all Columbus Crew fans. Two of us are from Columbus. Mike D is just, uh, you know, he's become a Columbus Crew fan because of us. He's, he's, he doesn't have anybody else to cheer for. So he's, you know, he cheers. Yeah, exactly. Where does the, you know, what was it like to play against the Columbus Crew in your time for New England Revolution? Did you consider them a rival? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely think. I think one of the things that I loved about them was the stadium. They created a great atmosphere. They're, they had people, they're showing up early to games. 
And I love the color. I love how they stand out with their yellow. Those are one of the things I loved about the uniform. It stands out. And then they had great players. I think from top to bottom, they, they put together a healthy team. And then remember Scalotto being there, uh, Rogers being there. They had some really good players in those years. And it was one of those rivalry because we played them a lot too that we look forward to playing. I think them and D.C., New York, obviously, because we were close. But I think they was one of the better teams too that always, every year, they always had a great team. So we always had to keep them in mind. Like If we need to go far, we, we would have to beat those guys. So like going back to the crew and uh, Revolution, like that game where you guys uh, beat them with their, I think it was like their home, home win streak or something like that, you guys uh, pretty much took that away from them? Yeah, yeah, we snapped their winning streak, their home streak. It was yeah, fun. We were, at, we were at that game, and that game was crazy, though, after you guys scored that. Oh, you were there? Nice. Yeah. It's places like that will make the MLS special, uh, continue to make the MLS special, because Columbus was one of those teams that came in, and they had their facilities was top-notch. They had it in a great place. They had the, the stadium was beautiful. The field was something that we enjoy. And being in New England, when you're playing on turf each and every week, you look forward to away games more and more, especially being in stadiums like that where the grass was big, field was huge, and you were able to, as a midfielder, you were able to run and run free and hit and slide tackles. And those little things, especially being in Columbus Stadium, it brought huge, huge joy to my life. So you keep talking about what is now Maffrey Stadium, it used to be Crew Stadium. They were the first soccer-specific stadium uh, in the MLS. When is New England going to follow that trend and get out of Gillette? Uh, hopefully soon. I, I, I think we got we got the gladiator in charge now in Bruce Arena, so that's exciting. Uh, I can't wait to see where he takes this team uh, this year and where he takes the organization. I think it's one of the best change and one of the best moves as an organization that New England has made, and I look forward to seeing him. I look forward to seeing him doing his his his, his tricks and magic. He's been one of the best. He's been the best coach in MLS history, and probably the best American coach, in my opinion, toward this American history of soccer. So I'm very, very grateful for him being in charge right now. And I'm praying that hopefully he can bring one home to the promised land. And I'll be there for that parade. I'll be the, right on one of those floats in the in the duck floats where we go through the Charles River. <laughs> I'll be right there along one of those floats and praying that he bring one back to our promised land. If the MLS is back tournament happens in Orlando, do you think that is something that Gustavo Bo and Bruce Arena can bring home back to New England? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think so. Bo is, Bo is one of a kind. He is such a talent, him and Carlos Gill. I got to see them in February when I was here for two weeks. I saw them work in the, in the preseason, and I got to talk to Bruce and see him at his best with him and Richie Williams and Dave Vandenberg and the entire staff. And it was a dream come true just being alongside those guys. But I think Bo and Carlos and Andrew Farrell and Scotty Cardwell, all these guys who Bruce have under their leadership and tutelage right now, it's going to be fun watching them play once everything is back to a little bit better time period. And in Orlando, I hopefully all things goes well and we get back to see MLS soccer because it's great to see the other league start. But at the end of the day, I want to see MLS players. I want to see those guys play. I want to see those guys run and kick butts and enjoy the game that we all love. And that's what we've been waiting for for a while too. So we're ready. We're all ready to see MLS come back. So hopefully, hopefully this tournament goes on. Yeah, 
I think they're doing as much as they can. They obviously they have the safety protocol and everything has to be on the everything has to be on the up and up and make sure everyone at the end of the day is safe and everyone is doing what they're supposed to. But I'm dying to see games back on, whether it be an empty stadium or or ten people watching it. I'll be one of those guys on TV, glued to the TV, watching all those games. And the format is interesting, so it, it'll definitely be it will be doggy dog well right now you have to win them <laughs> so that makes it exciting it's like a it's like a do or die tournament so you know you have to show up each and every game to perform and be ready to sing. and i think we need that jolt of entertainment in our life especially our, us soccer fans we need that right now and hopefully like i said as long as everyone's safe i can't wait to see it happen yeah, also shout out to the NWSL. Their tournament starts this Saturday. So you guys tune into that. We got to continue to give love to women's soccer. We talked to Katie Stengel of the Houston Dash last week. So you guys subscribe to CBS All Access and tune in, watch, and watch probably the best women's professional soccer league in the world. So tune in for that starting this Saturday. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm glad to hear the women starting up this weekend. It'll be great. Uh, young ladies and myself included and us fellas. We need to see soccer and women's soccer has been growing and getting better each and every year. And I can't wait to see what they're doing. And I can't wait to see some games and some goals and, and the technical ability. I think even though they play at a little bit slower pace, it's great to see women with such technical ability and the way they think and create things on the ball. That's one of the things I love watching. And I've, got, I've gotten more into women's soccer because <laughs> I like to see it now and I'm coaching young girls. So I need to relate a little bit more. And for me, I love the build-up. So I definitely got into a little bit. But I can't wait to see what happens this weekend when they start playing. We're going to switch up a little bit. So that, like back in 2006 was when the first time when Celtic FC offered you a contract, but it got rejected. So and then they offered you another contract. I think it was like 2007, I believe. What, yeah. what was the feeling like after the Newton Revolution pretty much rejected that those offers I was disappointed uh, I was very disappointed that they weren't able to to come to some kind of agreement and allow me to go but thinking about it back thinking about it now and what I was what I was doing I should have done more if I I wanted the opportunity to play overseas I thought it would have been a great test for me I thought it would have been something that would show my level of soccer that would show people how good I am and how great of a player I could have been or how great of a player I was I thought I could have done more in terms of making sure that they understand that I was going to leave no matter what. I think that's one of the things that I, I love and respect Clint Dempsey about. He made it known publicly like he was not going to be back in the MLS and they allowed him to go. But back then they weren't, they weren't, they weren't going to let me go because they had an interest in Taylor 12 and 2 and they didn't want to lose me or they didn't want to lose him and then they losing Clint that year. So I understand the part from the organization part, New England didn't want to let me go, but it was very frustrating that I wasn't able to pursue that, that, that other side of the soccer game. But, but things happened for a reason. I, learned, I had a conversation with Stevie over some tea about it and just told me, stay positive, things, things might come your way. But it was definitely frustrating and disappointing not able to pursue that Celtic opportunity. You yeah. mentioned Celtic. What, was there something special about that team? Were you drawn to that team? Um, were there other teams in... in Europe or overseas that you wanted to play for? It wasn't like I was drawn to them. I think we, we played them here in a friendly and that's when they got that's when they got their eyes on me. We played them in a friendly here in New England. 
And it literally, I think it was one of my best games uh, playing against uh, other than MLS opponents. They came over here and there was, the, the, overall the team was much better than us, but I stand out. I dominated from, uh, from my side of the field. From my team, I had like one of the best games, I think, against them. And that's when they started learning. That's when they started showing interest into me and started finding out who I am and my age and my all of the background check they started to do. And that's when they gauged their interest and started to make a bid for me. I wanted to play in England. I think England was one of the places I would have loved to play because of my style of play. I would have loved the opportunity to play over there. I would have loved any club in England, you know, in the Premier League, I would have loved that opportunity to play over there, but my agent didn't do enough, and I I didn't have an agent that had the connection over there, and I wasn't able to to pursue that dream to play over there. But some of the things that some of the things that I can regret is that not it being more aggressive in terms of pursuing my dreams to play over there. So you just spoke that you know you had an agent. Celtic was interested in you. Were there any other teams that reached out to your agent that you're aware of that were interested in bringing you in to play for them that uh, you know of? No, I think uh, the, he mentioned one or two places in England that would, was going to be good for me, but it, it never got to, it never really concrete, it never got solidified, it never, he never really pursued it. And that's one of the things that to this day I kind of still mad at him for it. Like he wasn't able to pursue those things, but. Looking back on it, I I just nod my head on it. I'm just grateful for the opportunity that I got to play in the MLS and I, I got to live out my dreams. I got to be a professional player. And not too many people can say that. I played for my country. I I played and coached for my country. So those are the things I try to just be happy about and understand Like I've gotten so much from this game and I'm forever grateful for it. Absolutely. So you obviously had a great career in the MLS. You had some time that you played for the international side as well. And in 2008, you played a role in getting the Grenada men's national team to its first major international competition in the 2009 CONCACAF Gold Cup. As a player, describe what it felt like to represent your home country of Grenada and take them to a place that they had never been to at that point. Uh, it it was it was a dream come true. Being able to play for your countries, I don't think it's a better feeling. Being able as a professional athlete, being able to represent your country is one of the greatest feelings ever. And being a young man from Grenada, a young boy in Grenada, I never thought I would be a pro professional. And then being able to play for Grenada and represent my country is one of the greatest feelings I had as a professional athlete. And then being able to go back home and then coach them into another, and then coach them into the second birth into the second Gold Cup ever. It's some of the things that, <laughs> something my mom, even till this day, we talk about that. It's it's, it's never been done. It's, it's probably done by two people in the Caribbean, uh, me and Theodore Whitmore, who coaches Jamaica. He was professional. He played, he played for Jamaica and now he coaches them into the Gold Cup. So it's one of those things in the Caribbean history that people would recognize and people would put my name down. But I'm so blessed that I was able to do that. I'm forever grateful that I got to play in a Gold Cup and then now I got to coach my country into the birth of the second Gold Cup. Yeah, I was just going to mention, you know, you played and then also you went and you coached the team. So such a unique experience to be able to play for your home country and then go ahead and be on the other side of it and essentially run the team uh, from a player standpoint. Did you feel a certain responsibility to go back and coach? Yeah, I did. I when the opportunity when the opportunity presented itself, I spoke to the the president uh, 
about it. And I was hesitant at first. I didn't really want to go back to Grenada because I, I just knew Grenada wasn't, Grenada is not the place where I wanted to spend my professional career. I didn't want to go back there as soon as, I didn't want to go back there that soon. I wanted to make sure I had the, the right, the right, the right stuff, the right things to go back there in terms of knowledge, in terms of philosophy, in terms of things that I needed to have under my belt. But I just thought when the, the opportunity presented itself, I couldn't wait any longer. And I was ready. I was coaching at the Bolts Academy. I was coaching the PDL team and the under-17, under-15 team. So when the opportunity came, I just thought, you know what, let me go. I'm, I'm going to have to swim in the deep end now and see what I'm made of. And I, I sacrificed a lot being there, but it was a great opportunity. And I proved myself within that two-year span and I got them to where they needed to be. And at the end of the day, I did my job and I was so grateful that I got to meet a lot of my childhood friends, met a new, met some new friends, and I put Grenada in a better place than where I found it. So I'm very happy and I'm very blessed to have done that. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and unfortunately, your guys' contract agreement didn't work out this, this year in 2020. If the opportunity ever arises again, will you go back? Yeah, I I would have to think about it really hard and long because uh, in, in terms of us finishing, in terms of me leaving Grenada, I just thought they didn't treat me as well as, as I deserve and as well as someone who have done, someone who accomplished what he have accomplished for them in the last year and a half, two years. I got them to Group A. I, we had a eight-game, a nine-game winning unbeaten streak going on. And then when it was time to negotiate, it literally... It was like four months, five months before they even came to the table. And I was like, I've been t talking to them about it. And they just took forever to really come to the table and negotiate. And it was like four days a week before my contract was expiring. And yet nothing was concrete or no offer was being made. And I just thought this was the best opportunity for me to come back to America. With so much going on in American soccer, I thought it was best for me to come back to America to my girlfriend to come back to live, to come back to my dogs and just continue to work here. Even though she was she was all on board and telling me, stay in Grenada because there's another step to it. The Gold Cup is coming in 2021, which is going to be huge for them. But Grenada, they didn't, the negotiation wasn't sincere. The negotiation wasn't genuine. And I just thought, you know what? It's time for me to do something different in my career and in my life. And I was so hungry to do more and they weren't willing to do that. And that's where we fall short. They just don't have the vision or don't have the, the foresight to see what they, what I have accomplished and my staff has accomplished and the players have accomplished to really reward me and the players for what we have done. So I thought it was best for me to, to move on and find the next chapter in my life. Yeah, it's a good move on the New England Revolution's part to recognize how important to their history you are and to you know, bring you back in to share your history, share your knowledge, and foster that through the youth academies and to the senior teams. So I, I think that's really smart of the New England Revolution. I read one of the articles that said uh, the previous management, um, there was a little bit of a fallout, but since Bruce Arena's been in play, it's like it's game on, you're right in there with them. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely game on with Bruce and Kurt and Arthur. Those guys have been top-notch and just talking to them and that was the first thing that he did when he got into the GM position was Kurt. He reached out to me when I was in Grenada and he told me if you're ever coming back to America, you would like to 
have this conversation. He wanted to create a culture of past players and past and future players being able to give back to the organization and not just being put by the side of the road, which we which we were in previous in previous in previous organization. Not organization, sorry, in previous guys that are in personnel that was working there in the old personnel and the old GM, those guys didn't really give us the respect or love that we deserve after accomplishing so much for the franchise. But when Kurt and Bruce came in, they understanding that they needed to create a different culture. And that culture is one that show that players in the past, they can get they can get what they deserve. And they did it right away. They did it from the start. They started bringing in players, myself, uh, Chris Journey, uh, guys like that. They provided opportunities for us to work and to give back to the to give back to an organization, and I'm forever grateful for that for that chance they're taking on me right now. I'm able to coach the U15 and then work with the senior team and then be able to see and grow as a coach is something I'm I'm so excited about and so looking forward to doing. Yeah, we're looking forward to you growing your career as a coach as well. Is it in the plans to possibly, if it's ever offered to you? be the revolution head coach? Yeah, uh, obviously uh, one day I want to be coaching professional. That's my dream. That's my dream job. My my first dream was to be a professional player. And my, my second dream is to be a professional, to coach professional players at the, high, at the highest level possible. And right now, MLS is where I want to be. MLS is where I want to coach. And I would love the opportunity someday in the future to coach New England Revolution. I, I must be honest about it, but right now I love Bruce Arena, I love what he does for the franchise. I love that he's a sporting director. I love each and every move he's making right now. When I was there in February, and he continued to do well in my eyes and uh, the fans' eyes, the fans' eyes around New England and hopefully around MLS. And I want him to be there as long as necessary to give us a a winning franchise and bring back championship. And not just one, not just two, but a multiple championship to New England with his staff that he has put in place right now. I think we're not far from it, but we're not far from it, but he's going to have to continue to work with the players and continue to develop the players, which he's doing. And hopefully, if not this year, then next year or the year after. But I can see us getting getting back to the finals and getting one of those cups very soon because of his leadership and his, and his, and his, and the way he embraced the players and what he has done throughout the franchise. I don't want to say I'm a New England Revolution fan, but I'll say that I now support the New England Revolution because of you, Shaori. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't have a team, really, you know. I was oh, come on. Crew, but, you know, he's making a strong case for for a shift here. But... Do it, man. Jump <laughs> yeah. over, man. Feel free. Come on over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with you being – obviously, you know, you, you were in Grenada and you were coaching – and then the opportunity presented itself to come back and, and be a part of the organization and the team that you played for when you were in the MLS. But then, you know, coronavirus happened, putting a halt to, to everything. What's been your capacity with the organization up to this point? Uh, yeah, uh, Corona definitely set back a lot of the things that, that was going to happen throughout the summer. I was going to be able to work with the 15s, which is still going to happen, and then work with the under-23s in the summer. And then be a part of the first team, which I was doing in February. I was just there every day working with these guys and just seeing how he seeing how he runs his, his organization, which is Bruce, and seeing the players, meeting the players and getting a getting an understanding 
of where they are mentally, physically. That was things that was happening in February. And having speaking to Kurt about where, where I wanted to be, he was all on board that I was able to, I was going to coach Grenada and continue to work with the New England. So I was going to be part-time in both jobs where the New England was allowing me the opportunity to continue to coach Grenada. So I was forever, I was grateful for that, that I was going to be able to do both jobs. But Grenada wasn't on board and Grenada kept stalling. And at some point I realized Grenada was not in my future and they, they were going to be holding me back instead of, instead of allowing me to grow. So I made the decision to come back to America and Kurt was like, yeah, we're full on board now. And he just wanted the best for me. And he understand like, this is what I, this is what I love. This is who I am. And they kept giving me opportunities to grow. And now I'm working with the U15, hopefully. And next week or two, we'll get permission to start up, to start up doing little technical sessions and stuff like that. If not, it'll be sometime in August, I'll be ready to go with these guys and, I've just been meeting some of the players, doing individual sessions with them at my backyard, just bringing players over, working with them, a small groups, two players, three players here and then, and getting to know the players, which I think is, even at that young age, it's very important to know who you're coaching up the field. So I've been able to do one-on-one -on -one sessions, small group training with those players at my backyard. And, and I'm grateful I'm getting the opportunity to just meet and greet some of those young players. And for me, it's always about putting in the work, not just during the season, but off season is just as important, especially at a young age. Those kids understand, like, those kids have to understand what it takes to play at the highest level. They see the games on TV, they see the players on TV, they idolize them and they wear their favorite uniform and wear their favorite cleats. But they don't understand the work that those players put in in their off season and the work that they put in on a daily basis and the sacrifice and commitment it takes to become great and to become and to play at that high level. So that's the conversation I've been having lately with a lot of the younger players who have got the opportunity to work with or just spend time with. Yeah, the work no. in the off season, the, the work in the off season, and the work in your time when you're just alone. It's you, you one on one with the ball, or you one on one with the track, or you one on one with the pavement. That's some of the most important time as a player. And you spoke on your mindset earlier. That's where you really define your mindset are you willing to work individually for your whole team so I think what you're doing with those individual sessions is is great yeah no quiet Brandon. Uh, so, oh you're good so now like I, I want to know like do these kids like after meeting them at first do they know who you were or do you had to do a quick google search and type your name in uh, they, they, they know who I am uh, my name carry a little bit of weight in New England <laughs> Uh, the good thing about it, even little things like that, when I first came in, when I first met uh, with Kurt uh, Nalfo and he brought me to the academy, and I saw the 15s, the 17s, and 19s train. And even to the senior team, when Bruce, when Bruce first brought me around the senior team, the way he introduced me, it wasn't to brag or anything, but he just literally says, this is Charlie Joseph, and he's literally one of the guys that helped make this, fun, make this organization who they are. And, when Kurt done it, when Kurt done it to the to the academy team, the way he introduced me, he was like, "Guys, do you know who this is?" And he asked the young players that, and they were like, one or two of them know who that was. And then he just gave a brief, a brief synopsis on who I was, and then literally it was something that brought chills to me to my body just hearing the way he talked and hearing little kids who was 15, 17 knowing who I was and knowing what I accomplished and knowing what I did for New England brought chills to my body hearing little kids talk about me so 
it's definitely a special feeling being around here, having been able to play for such a great franchise and to this day work and now and getting to work with this franchise. It's a special feeling around here and for me and myself. Yeah, so one question that we missed, uh, we were talking about the, the international teams. Uh, you played for Grenada, but you also, you know, Bob Bradley has spoken very highly of you. If you would have had the opportunity, would you have played for the U.S. men's national team over Grenada? Yes. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. And Bob's a great coach. Bob's uh, one of the best. Bob's probably him and Bruce. Bob's probably second, in my opinion. In terms of Mount Rushmore coach, he'll be, Bruce will be up there. He, he will be up there. Dominic Kinnear will be up there. And then Steve Nichol will be my fourth coach on the Mount Rushmore of MLS coaches. But I would hands down play for, if I had the opportunity to play for America over Grenada, I would. And I think back in my rookie year, they was trying to figure that out. If, 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 it was, if, if it was too late, if I could still play for America, they did some research and they found out that I was captive to Grenada early in my, early in my college year and it never worked out. But I, would, I definitely would have chosen America over Grenada. And even though Grenada has my roots and my family and I'm strong and strong, strong, strong heritage, at the end of the day, I thought this would have been the best opportunity for me as a professional to, continue, to play for America. We would have loved to have seen you in the Stars and Stripes, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you kind of were in the Stars and Stripes playing for the Revolution, but, you know, for the U.S. men's national team, we would have loved that. Yeah, especially during that time. I mean, the players that were on that team, I just can only imagine the damage that would have been done even further, furthermore <laughs> if you were a part of it. Oh, yeah, it would have been fun. Uh, I remember seeing Pablo Mastroeni, and I loved him as a player, and he was one of those national team players that I remember to this day. I was like, oh, my God, if I got an opportunity to play with this guy in the midfield, because he was such a force in the midfield when we played against each other and then watching him at the national team level. He came out of nowhere, and I remember him so well because I was like, oh, my God, if I get, ever got an opportunity to play alongside this guy, and we did in All-Star game, I was like so honored to play against players like that and to play next to players like that in All-Star games. So let me ask you your thoughts. We just watched the U.S. men's national team versus Algeria game in 2010, uh, two nights ago. Or was it last? Two nights ago. Uh, that was when Landon Donovan scored the goal that put them through to the knockout stages. Michael yeah. Bradley played, you know, he, he played for that team. You played during that time with Michael Bradley in the MLS. Michael Bradley's still in the MLS. What do you make of Michael Bradley? I love him. I still love him. I think he's, he's grown and he's developed into one of the best U.S. players US, in the U.S. players' history. I remember playing with him as a young man, a, a young, young Michael Bradley. And he, that hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 had a, he had a tough couple of years. I, I didn't think he was ready to play in the MLS. But what he showed was uh, he showed a character in him that his dad gave him the opportunity and he earned it each and every week. When Once he got the opportunity, he would work for everything he got on the field. And to this day, I think he's one of the best players in U.S. history. He's got to be in one of those conversations where he's Landon, obviously, Eric Winalda, uh, Lexi Lalak is up there. But I think for his longevity and what he has done and how he's captain American team, I think he's one of the, one of the best American players ever to play in the MLS and to wear the to, and to wear American uniform. Yeah, I mean, I agree. 
Mike Delaney and I are both suckers for midfielders, defensive midfielders. So we respect Michael Bradley's play. We respect your play. We love watching both of you guys play. Uh, you, Michael Bradley gets a lot more stick. Uh, you know, people don't like simple play. Uh, Michael Bradley is really good about his positional awareness and keeping the ball. And, you know, your average soccer fan that just watches the game is like, why aren't they just going forward? Why isn't he playing a through ball to the corner to the winger? You know what? You know, they, they want something exciting. So they don't understand how great something so simple is. True. So true. And his positional awareness is probably one of the best things about his game. He always picks up great spots and he always know where to be at, at every given time in the game. And, you don't you don't appreciate things. You don't appreciate little slice things like that. And I think Michael he gets his stick, but he's definitely one of those players. Like if I had to pick players to go to battle with, he would be one of those guys because I know how great he would be, and I know he'd come ready to play. And I know he's one of those players that would make everyone around him better. And he's one of those guys you need on your team. You can pick ten flurry players, ten players with creativity, tricks, and stars, but you need someone like him to make sure he can hold the foot down and make sure when things get rough and things get tight, you can count on him to be ready to battle. And that's what I liked about him too. 100%, 100%. I mean, just for me, watching the MLS, I mean, a few, a few years ago, back when they had the Atomic Ant on in Toronto, watching Michael Bradley, everything, everything went through him, everything. And teams knew it. Teams knew that when they played against them, they were going to have to go – and, and make a defensive scheme that was going to have to stop Michael Bradley, and they still couldn't do it. You know, it, it's just incredible to watch. And, again, touching on the simple play, it's the beautiful game, and especially a position that's near and dear to our hearts, that simple play is just magical to watch. It is, it is. And he has an engine on him. He's very deceptive. He, he covers a lot of ground. He, I, I know you remember watching him play, and I was like, he's everywhere. He's doing this. He's doing that for him. Obviously, the Atomic and got and him and Altido, they got all the accolades and praise for it. But that team wouldn't have won. That team wouldn't have got nowhere without him being able to play both sides of the ball and create stuff and help and get the ball into the Atomic Ant and Altido's feet. And those boys, they needed the ball at a certain time, and he was able to deliver those things. And sometimes players don't get the notice or the notification they deserve. But he's he's a creator. He's a creator. He's a pivoter. He's a both sides of the ball, he's a defensor, he's a destructor, he can help you build, he can help you destroy. So he's just one of those players that players need to start to respect him and give him his due, and fans need to understand how great of a player he is. Yeah, he pulls the strings, both the U.S. men's national team and Toronto FC. Oh, totally. So, boys, before we close this out, do you guys have any further questions for Shaori Joseph? No, let me unmute this so my. So you don't hear my son, my crazy ass kid, in the background. But no, <laughs> no worries. I, I appreciate appreciate you coming on on this show with us and just talking. You know your whole career. I mean, you were a pretty much MLS legend. So and you still still a legend to us. And you just had the the most like perfect vision on the field when you were playing for the Revolution and for Chivas and for Seattle, the Seattle Sounders. Because I I was watching a video the other day when you uh. It was like a 50-yard through ball to Steve Ralston to go to the Eastern Conference Championship against Chicago. I was like, and with your left foot. So not even your best foot, but still <laughs> dirty-ass pass. So, uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I did see that video clip. And that's what I loved about K 
players like Steve Austin, just the movement of the ball, he made things easy and simple. And since I talked to players about not having a weak foot or having an off foot, he's working on developing both feet. But thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to just speak on my career and speak about the things I love the most, which is soccer, my dogs and my girlfriend. So I really appreciate <laughs> you guys. Uh, I hopefully you guys continue to do your thing and keep pushing the envelope forward and keep making the game beautiful again and most importantly making the fans love it even more 100 man yeah you've been an awesome guest it's been a pleasure speaking with you and i'm super excited for you and your career in new england and where you take it to uh new heights with with coaching and at the highest level thanks michael you'll hear from me again hopefully we can do this somewhere down the road and catch up and see when the MLS season gets kicked off and see what happens in the in those games. And we can definitely revisit again and chit-chat and catch up again. I really appreciate the opportunity, man. Wonderful. Thanks. Can't wait, man. We, we would love to do it again. So Poopus described a through ball that you played to Steve Ralston, you know, a diagonal ball on his, on his foot. Describe the feeling and how good it feels to put a ball on a rope, a diagonal through ball on a guy's foot, a winger's foot, and he's in on goal. Uh, other than scoring, I think just being able to pass the ball was was one of the best things about being able to pass balls. Was one of the best things about soccer, being able to put it on a rope like that and having the ability with your weaker foot and having the ability to do things like that. It brings smiles to my face seeing things like that. And if you understand soccer and if you love the game and you love the simplicity of little things like that, you understand how, how genuine and how great that feeling is. So I really appreciate those kind of moments looking back out, looking back on it and things like that. It just brings, it brings excitement to me watching it. And I understand how great it feels to play at the highest level. And I, I pray to God, hopefully I can give those dreams to another player or another kid somewhere that he can accomplish those things and have those feelings once he plays the game at the highest level possible. But I, lo I, love, I love being in England. I love the opportunity of playing and living out my dreams and being a professional soccer player and things like that I look back to. And hopefully we can continue to talk about it sometime down the road when Arsenal win a championship or something like that, <laughs> right? Yeah, come, come on, you gunners. Yeah, if, if they win one in the next, whenever they win, you got to bring me back on here. Whenever Absolutely. Arsenal, whenever we host a trophy, because it's been like a good 25. It's been a while now. But whenever yeah. we win the next trophy, I got to get back on there. We're going to celebrate a little bit. Yeah, as they raise the trophy, we'll get on Instagram Live. Yes, sir. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that's next year. I hope it's so, too. Chelsea's taking it next year. Chelsea. Yeah. What? <laughs> you guys have a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys just – you did just get Timo Warner. So, you got Christian Pulisic as well. So we'll see what Chelsea can do next year. It'll, you know, but we'll it's, it's going to be Liverpool's two, It's going to be Liverpool's trophy to lose. That's true. It's going to be exciting. I'm very excited to see soccer and especially the EPL and then MLS too. It's going to be exciting. Like I said, once things get back to normal, a little bit of normal, and we can understand even more where players will be, and it'll be exciting to watch soccer and sports in general again. Yeah, absolutely. We can't wait to watch the New England Revolution face off the MLS's back challenge. Hopefully that happens. I know Florida's having a lot of COVID-19 issues, but 
uh, if, if the tournament does happen. Uh, we'll, we'll be watching all the games. We'll definitely t- turn into Gustavo, Bo, Carlos Gill, and Bruce Arena because uh, we know our man, Shari Joseph, will be cheering for them. Um, so, guys, listeners, we just had Shari Joseph on here. Um, great guest. Like we said earlier in the podcast, four-time MLS Best 11, finalist for the 2009 MLS MVP, seven-time All-Star, two-time Grenada Player of the Year, 2007 Caribbean Player of the Year, U.S. Open Cup champ, and North American Super League champ. I can barely say all those thanks so much. Mike Delaney wants to hear more, but I don't have any more. There could be more. I don't know. But anyways, uh, what I want to say here is, Shari Joseph, thank you so much for joining our podcast. Like you said earlier, we look forward to possibly bringing you in later down the later down the line. Uh, you know, we, we would love to talk New England Revolution soccer with you. Maybe when you're the New England Revolution head coach, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll be kind enough to bring you back on. Sounds great. I'll be uh, right now. I'm just working on the academy and looking forward to the challenges of coaching young players. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. And like I said, I really appreciate it. And you guys have been awesome. Uh, keep doing your work. It's been a pleasure working with you guys. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. And hope you continue to keep growing the game and pushing the envelope forward. Absolutely. Thank you again, Shari Joseph. You guys listening, you guys stay home, stay, he- stay safe, stay healthy. Um, and thank you guys for listening to MLS Gone Wild. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace out.